Heavenly Father, just thank you for being here this morning and pray that your word would minister to our heart and soul. Uh, Father, we, each one of us is more needy than we realize, we're more sinful than we realize. Lord, just pray that uh, we would just be able to just set aside the things that distract us and listen intently to the truth of your word. And as we leave here this morning, that we would chew on it, contemplate it, apply it in our lives, that we would not be forgetful hearers, that we would not be like one who builds on the sand and has no foundation. But Lord, we struggle. We struggle with sin every day. If we're truly honest with ourselves, we serve ourselves quite well and often don't serve you and others as we ought. So we pray that you would convict our conscience and our soul to serve others and to serve you. Thank you, Lord, for just salvation. Thank you for the cross that we just will briefly touch on today. And help us, Lord, to, to take it to heart that you would be honored and glorified by each of us in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In Matthew chapter 27, verses 45 through 54, we will read the following. From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a stick, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. The tombs broke open and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. And we also can understand by looking at this passage and reading briefly uh, from Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 and 6, where it says, Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall upon him. Fall upon him. Now as you listen to those passages, like myself, you probably think, I've read that. You think, I've heard that, I've heard sermons on that, and I would assume that most everyone present here today would agree to the fact, I've heard those, I've read those, I've seen those. So standing here this morning, I bring nothing new to you. 
but just a reminder. Just like it was with Israel, over and over again, to be reminded. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How often have you contemplated and just thought out just those few words of that passage? Or 2 Corinthians 5.21, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, to be sin on my behalf, so that we or so that I might become the righteousness of God in him. Reminds me of that song, How can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? Amazing love. Or Romans 3.26, he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Do you think about that? He's the just and the justifier of the one who has faith. Or maybe 1 Peter 3.18, the just for the unjust so that he might bring us to God. The just for the unjust so that he might bring me to God. One who was lost, one who was blind, one who could care less about the things of God, and now he dies, the just for the unjust, that he might bring me unto him. Only through the cross does God show both justice in punishing sin and mercy in pardoning it. The cross is God's answer, both to sin itself and to his anger against sin. If God were simply to overlook sin or to stop being angry at it, then in reality he would cease to really be the God of Scripture that we read about. For God's justice is inherent with his character. And justice demands that sin be punished. Isn't it interesting that this is really different from today's yelling and screaming for justice that we see on the news? You know, everybody wants justice but one's come down to oneself, is there really a cry for justice? Does each one of us ever really cry, Lord, give me your justice? Or even if we're guilty in the law, I deserve the justice. No, we seem to only cry out for justice when we think it's in our benefit. Far different from what the world's screaming. The cross of Christ is the way that God can be just and truly declare innocent the sinners who have placed their faith in the crucified Savior. This is substitutionary death, like I spoke about last week in the atonement. Jesus came to bear all of God's condemnation upon sin. However, we must not forget that the cross is not our freedom to sin. The cross is not our license to do as we want, thinking, oh, I'm under grace, I can do what I want. No, but a reminder of what was paid for on the cross. Jesus came to do away with the works of the devil. So even though I may not be sinless, I would hope through sanctification I sin less. You know, as you go through some of these passages and you just contemplate and think about them, hopefully you come away with the idea and the thought that, you know what, there's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can pay. There's nothing that I can give back. It's all by God's grace and mercy that I don't deserve. 
It reminds me of that song, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, and I won't read it all, but just part of it here. And just think of what's happening. It says, see from his head, his hands, his feet. Fully described, head to toe. His head, his hands, his feet. What happens? It says, sorrow and love flow, mingle down. So the blood's flowing. There's sorrow, there's love in the flow of that blood, and it comes together, mingled down the sorrow and the love in that blood. And then it says, did e'er such love and sorrow meet? It's almost how, how, or thorns compose so rich a crown. When you think of Christ being the King of kings and Lord of lords and giving his life for us upon the cross, how can we not contemplate that thorns can compose so rich a crown? And when you look back at the passages in Matthew that we read, there's a few things that I just really wanted to highlight that we could take note of. In verse 45, it speaks of the darkness came over all the land. That doesn't naturally happen. In fact, studies have shown that this couldn't have even been an eclipse because it wasn't even the right time for an eclipse. So it had to be supernatural. And then there's the separation between the father and the son and in verse 46 where he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Verse 50, Jesus yielded up his spirit. It says that Jesus Christ gave up his own life. As I mentioned last week, the, the cross and the atonement were not plan B. It was God's plan all along. And Jesus gave up his own life willingly. In verse 51, the veil in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. I've read that studies have shown that that veil was approximately four inches thick. There's no way man could have done it. It was about 30 feet high. The earth shook, the rocks split, the tombs were opened, and many saints were raised, verses 51 and 52. One commentary I read in studying for this says, The wrath of God against sin is seen in the darkness. The holiness of God is in turning away from sinners is seen in the separation. The love of God is seen in the self-sacrificial death of God incarnate. The satisfaction of God is seen in in that the Holy of Holies is thrown wide open and no priest is ever needed again. And finally, the hope of eternal resurrection is seen in the sudden raising of the saints. Years ago, when I had gotten saved, a friend of mine gave me a little aluminum cross. And the poem that went along with that cross, maybe you've heard it, but it says, The Cross in My Pocket. I carry a cross in my pocket, a simple reminder to me of the fact that I am a Christian no matter where I may be. This little cross is not magic, nor is it a good luck charm. It isn't meant to protect me from every physical harm. It's not for identification for all the world to see. It's just simply an understanding between my Savior and me. When I put my hand in my pocket to bring out a coin or key, the cross is there to remind me of the price he paid for me. It reminds me, too, to be thankful for my blessings day by day and to strive to serve him better in all that I do and say. It's also a daily reminder of the peace and comfort I share 
with all who know my master and give themselves to his care. So I carry a cross in my pocket, reminding no one but me that Jesus Christ is the Lord of my life, if only I will let him be.